Welcome to Nature Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden. And on this episode, we are pleased to have Wallace J. Nichols, the author of the best-selling book, Blue Mind, and the founder of Ocean Revolution. Wallace joins us to talk about the importance of all things water. Wallace, welcome to Nature Revisited. As your national best-selling book, Blue Mind, approaches its 10th anniversary, I would like to thank you for joining me to talk about all things Blue Mind, all things water. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's my honor. This is a great occasion to celebrate the 10th anniversary of of the publication of Blue Mind and talk about that with you. Can we start by you sharing some of your early memories that shaped your deep relationship with water? I think like, like a lot of kids, I just loved being in the water, whether it was a pool or a lake or an ocean. When I was a kid, I was adopted, and so I had big questions about everything. And I was a bit of an introvert and stuttered. And so that combination, the result of that was that I I just felt better in the water. I felt it was quieter. I felt like I was home. And some of those those big questions faded. And I didn't stutter because people don't talk to you underwater. So the more time I spent underwater, the better I felt. But that led directly to two things. One... I became a marine biologist and I dove deeply into this idea of blue mind, which I did not have a name for, you know, in the early days, I just felt better near the water, in the water, under the water and got curious about why. And that's led to this inquiry into blue mind. The water is the source of life and biodiversity and covers most of the planet regulates our climate but that's not why i love it really why i love water so much is because it makes me feel good it makes me feel alive it boosts my creativity it connects me to the people i love where i celebrate it's actually where i go to grieve and mourn that really is why i love water So before we talk more about that personal relationship that we all can have with water, talk a little bit about that other side, its physical importance. The reality of the physical importance of water is the water is the matrix of life on Earth, and it's unique in the universe. I mean, we're NASA scientists are searching the universe for more Earth-like planets, and water is the signal. FTW, find the water, follow the water, is their mantra. You know, here on Earth, the the original blue planet, from our perspective, it is the source of, of all life. If you're walking through a forest, that forest is up to 90% water. So water is the source of life. It keeps us alive. We are water-based beings. 
we all spent the first 9.21 months of our lives underwater in the dark in our own private oceans called mom. And that is true for all of our fellow mammals. This connection to waters is no surprise. You published Blue Mind almost 10 years ago. How is the water? That's a huge question, as you know. Results vary tremendously. We've got places where over the past decade, people have been hard at work. They have, in fact, protected and restored waterways. The water quality is improving. The biodiversity is increasing. The pollution is decreasing. We've also got places that are quite the opposite, where things perhaps have gotten worse. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. I think as this idea that water is, is valuable economically and ecologically, but also emotionally, as this idea continues to grow and expand, it will lead to these regenerative feedback loops where we protect and restore more lakes and more rivers and more parts of the ocean and take better care of the water we drink. Ten years after publishing Blue Mind, I've seen it in action. What we have seen, more people getting in the water. Uh, the value of being by the water goes up. Communities are transformed when a river goes from being toxic to even moderately healthy. This Blue Mind idea, it approaches the environmental crisis, but it also approaches the public health crisis that we have, especially the mental health crisis. And when you bring, bring back your water in your community, you get this ecological boom. You get also an economic boom and you get an emotional well-being boom. Where that occurs, that's what we see. So what was the factor that played in your writing the book, and how long did it take to write it? The factor's name is Dr. Oliver Sacks. I hoped that he would write a book about neuroscience, neuropsychology, and water, and I pitched the idea to him, and... He was an intellectual powerhouse, one of the, the most interesting humans I've, I've known. Brilliant writer, brilliant neurologist, water lover, music lover. I'm curious about everything. And I dreamed that he would write this book that I wanted to read about our brain on water. And I, I thought oh, he could write this book and I could feed him some research. And when I pitched the idea to him, he said, it's a fine idea. You do it. I did not take that as a suggestion or a nudge. I took it as a command. And five years later, I brought him Blue Mind. But I will say very explicitly that I wanted to read Blue Mind. I did not want to write it. I wanted him to write it, and that didn't happen. Fortunately... I wrote it and he read it. So that's how it happened. It did take those five years. I'll take it back to Dr. Oliver Sacks, who said, you do it. So, so what does the brain on water look like? Best way to approach that question is to start with what I call red mind. And red mind is our new normal. 
it is our response to the built environment separate from nature that are increasingly full of screens and information and technology. We're busy, we're distracted, we're falling behind with the increase of technology and the ease of all the information that comes to us. You press a button and you get food delivered, you press a button, the car picks you up. It's harder and harder to shut that off. So that red mind mode produces a high level of stress. That level of stress and anxiety will, will break you down at the cellular level. We know that. And when that happens, you go into gray mind. Gray mind is, is your body and your mind saying, we're done. You've, you've, you've burned the midnight candle too many times. Can't handle it anymore. And a, a lot of people are there. Blue mind is a way for us to calm and reconnect and reset and restore. And water is the shortcut. You feel more one with yourself, one with each other, the people you care about, people you work with, and one with our environment, with our planet. The goal here is to make blue mind, this concept, common knowledge and common practice because it does have these public health benefits for our, our physical, our mental, and our, our emotional well-being. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how there may have been a time when the spirit of the water, which is so important to a lot of indigenous cultures, what we can learn from, from those cultures. Yeah, it's a brilliant question because nothing that we're talking about with regard to blue mind is new. What's new is there's, a, there's some modern science that says, hell yeah, that's right. Every culture, every spiritual tradition, and every sacred text on earth since the beginning of recorded history talks about blue mind. And I use that terminology, but the idea that water has a spiritual role in our lives that is critical really is nothing new. To be really clear, and to your point there, this is not a new idea by any means. That kind of sentiment is echoed throughout all sacred texts, throughout all human history, throughout all cultures. Share some of the incredible ways that water can serve as healer, such as surfing and other activities. Yeah, let me give you, I'll give you a, a story that depicts that. It's a guy named Bobby Lane who's become a friend, and he is a veteran, he's a Marine, who served in Afghanistan, and he returned with some traumatic brain injury. I would say the, the poster guy for post-traumatic stress. He was medicating with pharmaceuticals, uh, but also self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. And in fact, he was feeling like he didn't really want to live any longer. So he was mentally not well. The course of treatment was not fixing much and was ready to check out. He got involved in a program offered by Operation Surf, Surf Therapy Program. Caught his third wave, stood up on his board, and really felt different. 
and he felt like he wanted to live. Not only did he want to live, the thoughts on that wave went so far to convince him that he not only wanted to live, but he wanted to share this feeling with his fellow veterans. And he's just one example of how Blue Mind can be put into action. I don't want to overstate any of this. Post-traumatic stress, anxiety, burnout are serious, quite heavy, not to be messed around with. I'm not suggesting drop all your treatment and jump in the ocean and grab a surfboard. But if you do, it will help and it will be a, a powerful supplement to the other things that may also be working for you. So we see it working clinically. The research is, has been a, unfolding and being published. Float therapy, surf therapy, aquatic therapy of all kinds, free diving, scuba diving, walking by the water, paddling, sailing, all these different modalities are, are being used therapeutically. Can you share with us some of the ways that you personally have become more connected with water over the years. You know, suffice it to say, we've all had a, a challenging handful of years. During the pandemic, my mom succumbed to dementia. She passed after a long, long decline. And we lost our home in a wildfire right in the middle of the pandemic. So I think we all can relate to those extra stressors on top of the background stress of, of a global pandemic. And I, I remember after the fire, you know, people were kind of like, okay, blue mind guy, let's see if your theory works. All this, the extra stress that that caused in our, our household and our, our family and my kids, our relationships really, really put it to the test for me. I leaned more heavily on this blue mind idea than ever in my life made a really a priority to be in the water daily in some way, whether it was a creek or a cold plunge or, or ideally an ocean. And it became clear to me that my emotional health was challenged and I was struggling with the realities of my own life. Here I'd written a book about one of the ways to, to power through that and to heal yourself. I took it up a notch. I'd always been a water lover and a water person and a practitioner. But in the face of these new circumstances and heartbreak, I had to really dig into it. Here I am talking to you. I use Blue Mind personally, uh, daily, whenever I need an extra boost, extend my water time to accommodate it. In your book, Blue Mind, you quote the beginning of Moby Dick. What are some of the other ways that Melville exemplifies the glory and the mystery of the watery part of the planet? Yeah, well, that, that book is the original Blue Mike book. And page one, if, and what he writes is when, when he's feeling November in his soul, which to me is gray mind, we're coming up on November here and you know, the days get shorter leaves have all fallen in certain parts of the world. It might be a little cloudier, a little rainier, a little cooler. 
And so he says, when I feel November in my soul, rather than becoming depressed, becoming an angry person, it's high time to go to sea. Saying when he's feeling that gray mind, too much stress, maybe burnt out, some gloom, November in his soul, it's high time to get on a boat and go to sea. Not everybody can hop on a boat in November when they're feeling that way. But everybody can practice Blue Mind daily, no matter where you are. He says a lot more about Blue Mind in that epic book. He refers to that idea of the sea as a healer of our emotional well-being repeatedly, poetically. We see this idea encoded in literature, Melville's Bobby Dick, in poetry, in music, in works of art, photography and film, paintings, have made Blue Mind portable, reminded us that this, this feeling is real. The science backs it up, but so does the art. When you can't get to the actual water, you can still practice Blue Mind by bringing up the poetry and the prose and the photography and the art and the music. How can people who may not have easy access to rivers, streams, or oceans become more connected to water? How can they find a pocket full of ocean? So let's start with the wild water from wherever you're sitting right now. It may be easy or it may be moderately difficult or maybe extremely effortful to get from where you're sitting to the water. So lucky you, if it's easy, you should do that as often as possible. It may be that your wild water is in bad shape, that it needs help, that it needs some water warriors. Be one of those because it's worth the effort to bring a lake, a river, or a part of the ocean back to life. Make the effort to get to the water that you love that's nearby as often as possible. But sometimes you can't, sometimes too far or too frozen, as the case may be. And in those cases, you can lean on your domestic water, any water that's sort of held in a tube or a tank. Then there's another category. It's the urban water. So in your town, there may be a fountain that you can visit. So it's not quite the wild water. It's not the Niagara Falls. It's not the raging river or the big ocean. But it still holds that power of blue mind. Just sitting by a fountain or walking along an urban waterfront is, is lovely and therapeutic. Next category that we mentioned earlier is virtual water. And that's any depiction of water where water is in fact not present. So art, literature, poetry, music, photography, film, a recording of water. The last category is imaginary water. And that's the water that you see and hear and taste and smell when you close your eyes. It may be your favorite water. It may be the water of your childhood. It may be some place you visited yesterday that made an impression. 
uh, maybe from a recent vacation or trip. We can always rely on our, our imaginations and our memories, which emphasizes the importance of making those memories when you have the opportunity, when you're at the water you love that you've traveled to, pay close attention and pay attention to the way it sounds and the way it looks and the way the light bounces and what's living in it and the way it tastes and smells. So those are the five forms, wild, domestic, urban, virtual, and imaginary. Those are the five forms of water that we can utilize and practice blue mind every day. I suggest that you try to do that every day in some form. This is not an insignificant suggestion. We are water-based beings on a water-based planet with a whole bunch of red mind and gray mind seeping in. So how do you see the future of water, both environmentally and culturally? I think there is a massive opportunity right now to take these ideas that we've been discussing and make them common knowledge and common practice for 8 billion people. I think when we start teaching Blue Mind in our schools, to school kids, high schools and colleges, and to grad students, when we start teaching Blue Mind to nursing students, health professionals and educators, we'll start to see some really interesting changes. That value equation around water will shift. The movement to protect and restore and value water will grow. What we're seeing already is that when water is properly valued for all its benefits, there's a higher priority. Communities invest more in the protection and restoration of the water. And then the benefits flow uh, economically, ecologically, and emotionally. There's a bigger movement to take care of water quality and aquatic ecology when people recognize the full, the full benefits. And then there's, a, there's sort of a policy political shift that I think can occur when we say the people who serve us daily, the first responders, the people on the front line, the nurses, the teachers, the EMTs, the police, the firefighters, who live incredibly stress, stressful lives because they run towards danger on our behalf and they show up early for us. If those people are avoiding burnout by practicing Blue Mind, that's a, that's a shift. That's a really interesting story. And I think that's, that's kind of, that it really is fascinating to me to see how the storytelling can shift and that can lead to stronger policies, better protections, restoration of both ourselves and our waters and nature and healthier communities. In my lifetime, there's never been a moment when we needed it more. So finally, share with us a million blue marbles. If I could put a million blue marbles right into your hands right now, you'd be completely overwhelmed. That's a lot of marbles, but we've, we have shared over a million blue marbles around the world. 
They're glass marbles. They're recycled glass. They're cobalt blue. And if you look through them, there's some, they're translucent. That simple object is a gesture of gratitude when we share them. But when you hold it out at arm's length, it, it looks like what we look like as a planet from a, a million miles away. So basically, it's a, a way to say, let's all be astronauts for a minute. And when every astronaut that has looked back on Earth has had something called the overview effect, which is a, a wave of humility, of awe and wonder that shifts them. Every astronaut describes it differently, but the takeaway is when you get to see us, our home, from that place, it's a spiritual experience that doesn't go away. So we share these blue marbles kind of as a, a gesture, a recognition of the overview effect, Carl Sagan's pale blue dot. So that marble is a reminder that we live on a finite water-based planet where everything we do matters. And we ask people if they've received a marble to reflect on that, but then to carry it and pass it on to someone and to share some version of this story with the person that they pass it to, that they want to express some gratitude to. Next week, I'll be at the University of Rhode Island giving a keynote, and there'll be 800 marbles uh, given to the, the faculty and students. And we'll have this conversation. And then those people will take their marbles and carry them until they pass them on. The blue marble has kind of become the symbol for this this blue mind conversation. And and as you said, the last chapter uh, describes describes what I've just said in more detail. If this conversation is resonating and you're thinking, yeah, I, I get it and water is important to me and you're practicing blue mind, that's great. And I would encourage you to take someone with you that needs it. Might be someone you know peripherally or could be a, a close loved one. Get them. Grab them, jump in the water with them. That would be my the next level of this message. Understanding Blue Mind, practicing it, and then sharing it with those who need it most. There's a lot of people who need it. And so let's let's all be uh, the person who brings it to those who need it most. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Nature Revisited with Wallace J. Nichols. And if you haven't already read Blue Mind, that you take the time to do so. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with family, friends, and colleagues. You can follow Nature Revisited on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or our website, NordenProductions.com. The music for Nature Revisited is Buzz and Fly by Tim Buckley. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join me for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, please remember, 
We are nature.